Hello and welcome to the AdNug podcast, the podcast for the Adelaide.net user group. I'm your host, David Gardner. This is a recording from our January 2018 meeting, Going Serverless with Azure Functions. Sam Fernando will step us through the basics of Azure Functions and how to develop and host functions and a few integration scenarios with popular SaaS services. And now over to the presentation. I'm Sam, uh, I'm going to talk about Azure Functions. Um, who here is currently using functions right now or planning to? Hi. Yep. Uh, well, today's going to be a bit of an introduction. I'm not going to do any complex stuff. I do have uh, about four or five demos to run through. Um, and uh, yeah, but there's plenty in the documentation where you can actually play and like, you know, have a look at all the APIs and because everything's all like open source as well and all the code is in GitHub. So you can see how exactly they're actually uh, speeding up all the functions and stuff like that. So I won't go too, uh, too down into the details, but uh, hopefully that will be enough to actually get you started. So, um, um, for those who don't know me, I'm Sam. Uh, I'm a solutions architect at ASG, which is a, a consulting firm uh, in Adelaide and, and uh, throughout Australia as well. Um, I'm also running the Adelaide Dynamics user group. Um, so I'm pretty much David's counterpart for Dynamics. Uh, and I've been a technology specialist for a very long time when it comes to cloud and uh, .NET. And when I'm not on my computer, I love doing photography and uh, you know, playing some music. So uh, I've got some slides to go through, but I would like to just mostly just run through like, you know, code and demos and stuff like that. Uh, I'm just going to run through a couple of quick things like, you know, what are the benefits if you're planning on like, you know, moving your on-prem stuff to serverless? You might already be in the cloud, but you might still be running your VMs in the cloud. Um, like, you know, what kind of benefits are you looking for? Um, like, you know, how the Azure functions are actually architected. A couple of demos, and I'll, I'll actually show you some scenarios, like, you know, just on the slides. Uh, that will just do, you know, get you thinking about all the possibilities. Um, and I'm just going to talk about some, uh, like, dev tools, deployments, and, uh, and, and, and maybe a precursor to other technologies that's actually in the platform that you can actually leverage uh, apart from functions. So, I mean, just going back, like, you know, many years ago, uh, like, you know, all of you probably, like, you know, started with on-premise, like, you know, servers, all the hardware, um, you know, racks, files, and all of the crazy stuff. And then came, um, like, you know, um, like, you know, cloud technologies that actually, you know, gave you the capability to actually go to the cloud, but you were kind of still, you know, boxed into, like, you know, having those VMs. So you're still, like, you know, losing the hardware, but, you're you know, you're still in the same model. And then came the past offerings like your cloud services, your web apps, uh, and, and the app services and stuff like that, that you know, kind of still relies on the, uh, on, on the VM or the OS layer, uh, but not so much as your um, you know, uh, IaaS offerings. Uh, like, you know, throughout these generations, you've been wondering, like, you know, like, you know, what's the VM capacity do I need? Like, you know, how many VMs do I need? You know, is this going to be enough to actually power the application that I'm doing? You know, load balancing, reliability, and, and backing up, restoring. So, like, all these three generations of hosting platforms, like, you know, raised a lot of questions. Uh, so, luckily, we've got uh, serverless now, uh, which actually abstract a lot of the stuff from people like us, uh, as well as just, like, you know, let us focus on other things other than, like, you know, um, you know have I got enough memory or have I got enough, have I got enough uh, CPU and, and a whole bunch of other, um, like, low-level uh, problems and questions. So just to run through a couple of benefits, um, you know, if, if you're planning on uh, making use of serverless technologies, it's pretty much the abstraction of servers. So you're actually abstracted from all the VMs and the, the OSs, patching, firewalling. Uh, I mean, in Azure you can like you can still have your fi you know, firewalls and virtual networks, but you you don't actually deal with that low-level stuff anymore. Um, you know, just lets you let you focus on the business logic. Like you know, just take your problem, you know, focus on the act actual application itself, and just like you know, like you know, get into the coding straight away. Uh, you know, pretty much faster, like you know, return on investment. And uh, with serverless technologies, it's got like you know, sub-second billing. So you actually pay for like you know what you use. And uh, and uh, and all the serverless technologies are pretty much um, event-driven, and it's got instant scale. So you don't have to worry about 
like you know setting up your scaling rules and stuff like that and say like you know if i'm getting 10000 hits then like you know scaling to like you know like two instances or something like that uh, you don't have to worry about that that's all like you know automatically taken care of uh, so so your functions uh, so you can actually easily use like you know azure functions to make a cloud application rather than then just thinking traditionally like you know having writing your code and thinking about your database layers and, and the API layers and stuff like that, you can actually easily make applications these days you know, by incorporating Azure. Um, you can potentially use uh, and, and transfer your existing um, applications into kind of like a microservice architecture. It's not entirely, you know, Azure Functions is not entirely Docker. It's not, it, it's not a containerization technology, but you can still have the benefits of the micro, microservice um, you know, architecture principles by using functions. Um, in terms of language choices, there's there's plenty. Uh, there's also batch and PowerShell um, support uh, getting added as well. Um, so you got uh, you don't have to worry about just like you know sticking to C sharp uh, or, or Node. Um, you can have scheduled tasks, um, so tasks that are running in the background uh, over a period of time. Uh, you can expose functions as HTTP APIs or just endpoints. Um, or else you can simply just respond to external events. Um, you know an event might be uh, a file getting added to a storage blog, um, you know, receiving a, uh, a message into a service bus. Um, and you can scale based on demand. So the app service, uh, so Azure, Azure functions actually run on the app service uh, uh, platform, so it'll actually scale based on the demand. So it'll actually automatically monitor uh, your hits and, um, and, and traffic. And uh, the easiest thing to actually pair functions with is logic apps. Um, if, you, if you are using logic apps already, you can easily extend the capabilities using functions. Uh, the basics of Azure Functions is pretty much like you know there's an there's an input uh, and you've got a function and the function's got an output. So the the most basic thing to actually keep in mind is when you're designing functions is to just like you know make it like stateless and just do one thing. Uh, just going back to the microservice architecture principles, just you know have that separation of like you know responsibility and. And, and don't like you know make this um, like a fully blown um, like module with like so many different functions and, and capability. So that's what they've actually designed it for. Like you know have a simple input, you know do some processing, have an, have have some uh, some kind of output. And when it comes to inputs and outputs, you've got like a range of choices. I mean, you could have uh, a message getting added to a queue, uh, a service bus, or you could simply have uh, another application or another service calling. Uh, the function as an um, as a as an API or a, or a REST uh, endpoint, or just like you know monitor uh, like you know files or, or records getting added to your uh, SQL storage. Um, and in terms of outputs, like you know you could have the same thing, like you know make a web service call, uh, and um, um, Microsoft have built-in um, native integrations with SendGrid and Twilio. So if you're using SMSs and emails, you can like you know very easily integrate with that. Um, and, and then just do whatever you want to do. Uh, so, uh, just gonna jump into my Azure portal. Uh, does anyone have um, any questions about how to get signed up with an Azure account or already got one? Um, if you don't have one, there's you know Visual Studio Dev Essentials that'll give you for that'll give you like 12 months worth of uh, uh, like you know Azure access, like 30 bucks a month or something. Or else, if you've got MSD and Enterprise, you get uh, you get more benefits. So I'm just going to create a new function app, and uh, you'll see uh, the serverless function app, and uh, it's going to ask you for a couple of questions. I'm not going to run through the whole process; it, it just takes too long to actually spin up everything. So it just could be like you know, a function app, like you know, just an app name. Uh, just need to be unique. Not unique enough. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, and just pick your subscription. Um, you know, have the you know, do the usual resource grouping stuff, um, and then you've got a choice of Windows or Linux, and uh, and then you get asked an interesting question like the hosting plan. Um, so the default model uh, of hosting for Azure Functions are uh, is the consumption plan. So consumption plan is pretty much you know pay as you go model, where it actually tracks hits. 
and it actually calculates how long your function runs and how much memory your function is actually using, and then that's how you get billed. So if you if you if you got like a really large function that's taking 10 minutes, you're probably going to get charged more uh, compared to a function that runs for like you know 500 milliseconds. Um, or else you've got your traditional app service plans. You might already have some servers um, somewhere, so you can still go with the app service plan. Uh, but again, like you know, fixed price, but you're reusing your resources, existing resources. Um, a function app is pretty much a container for your functions. So, um, so it actually requires a storage account to actually keep track of so many different things. Uh, it uses storage account to actually keep track of the jobs, the statuses, um, and, and cre uh, create log files and, and, uh, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And then you got native integration with application inside. So your monitoring is all sorted. Don't have to worry about that. Um, so I'm not going to set up monitoring. So that's all I need to say. Um, uh, yeah, so it's going to be in the central here, so I'm not definitely going to use that. Um, so that will take a while to actually deploy. And uh, once that's deployed, you are actually presented with, a, with another screen where you can actually see all your functions. Um, so you've got different options. So you've got your functions. You've got proxies and slots. I'll cover the, the, the rest in a little bit. Um, so the main thing that you want to look at is your function app. So that's my function app. And, uh, and it's pretty much my container for all, all the functions. Um, so since it's actually running on the app service platform, you've got your traditional uh, like you know, stopping, restarting, and, um, and you've got, uh, when it comes to deployments, you've got your published profiles. You can set up source control. So anything that you currently do with an app service uh, or an app service plan, uh, you can do here. Uh, the only difference is like the way that the engine is architected and, and how the runtime works uh, compared to your traditional uh, you know, web app. Um, so uh, just going into functions, uh, you can expand that and you can say new function. So Microsoft have actually made this portal like you know better and better in when it comes to like you know having all these pre-created templates. So if you don't really know what you are like you know what you're building or if it's like you know something really custom, you know easily you can go for an HTTP trigger or it might be like a you know some some cron job or some background task. So you can go for a timer trigger. Or if you want to trigger your function based on a queue, uh, a message getting added to a queue, go for a queue trigger, service bus, uh, service bus trigger, uh, a block trigger, and, and so on and so forth. So as you can see, you've got plenty of uh, options just to get started if you, um, uh, if you can actually make use of one of the templates. Um, so what I would simply just do is just pick um, a webhook. Um, so I'm just going to go with the default name. And I've said my language is C-sharp. And now that's actually now spinning up uh, a little function inside this container. Um, so once we've actually got that, uh, there's different ways of actually coding for functions. You've got access to um, an online editor, just like you know, a little bit like VS Code. Um, so you can actually edit your code there, or you can actually hook it up to your source control and just do your traditional, uh, like you know, continuous deployment stuff, um, and then. Know, have all of your coding done through VS Code or VS. Um, so let's just wait for that to finish. Yep, there you go. So that's pretty much my online editor, and I can do any changes here, and then actually just uh, run it. So in terms of uh, the function itself, I picked the webhook. So it's it's just going to expect that someone's going to call it. Um, so for that, I could I could easily use Postman, or um, or the portal itself got a little test area. So, um, so I can uh, just you know click on the test tab, and uh, and it's you know automatically populated with a with a simple JSON body, and then I can simply just run it, and um, you've got the log streaming uh, for this function uh, over here, so you can just like you know expand or collapse that, and you can actually <coughs> see what's uh, happening with this function. Um, you've got the trace writer, so you can actually log your custom messages to this log file. And um, and you can actually get to see the output in the test area as well pretty quickly. And if I want if I want to make a change, uh, just go and save it. You'll actually see that the function is actually getting recompiled. And um, if I made a syntax error, you're probably you're not going to see syntax errors in the editor itself because the editor isn't like IntelliSense enabled. But you're going to actually see the compilation um, errors down here in the log file. Uh, but again. You'll have a different experience if you're using VS because, like you know, all the um, syntax errors would be taken care of. 
just fix that. Um, and then I can I can uh, make changes here and uh, just run it. And uh, that might actually end up in a bad request. So you can actually do various things because I've just simply set up my function to be a, a simple um, you know, HTTP request and a simple response. Um, and in terms of response, just think about your web APIs. Um, like you know, you could res like you know, you could pass back uh, a file as a response, or you could just like you know, ju just do something and, and not pass anything. Uh, it might just be like a far and forget kind of you know uh, API, um, and 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 you can perform um, you know any other asynchronous task inside of this. So that's pretty much uh, the simple setup. Um, so every function has a has a URL. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about authentication. So with the way that the default authentication work is based on SAS keys. So you have your um, like you know there, there's two different types of keys uh, that gets actually used um, when invoking a function. Uh, you could actually change this to you know maybe use Open Open ID um, or uh, even like you know Azure AD. So if you already got like you know uh, an application uh, running on any other authentication uh, mechanisms, you can just hook up your functions to use the same thing and, and not worry about keys. But the default is it's got um, uh, an, uh, a secret key, uh, which gets appended as a uh, query parameter. So that's pretty much the simple setup. Um, and uh, yeah, as I was saying, you've got the, uh, the trace writer, so you can actually log your custom messages to the log file. And uh, so let's look at the actual code structure itself. So a function is pretty much like you know one method. So a function is not like you know multiple methods with like you know uh, uh, like a domain class with like you know five different business functions. It's just one one function. Uh, but you can easily simply just like you know e extend with your own functions and and have your um, you know uh, code uh, organized. Uh, you can actually see some like not so common. Um, naming uh, like you know syntaxes, so you got the R command, uh, which is to actually load external assemblies. Uh, Azure platform uh, the function runtime by default actually loads a couple of uh, libraries automatically. So you got access to storage uh, like you know service bus queues uh, and 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 you know uh, like you know Newtons of JSON and and a couple of other libraries by default. So you don't have to actually bring in your um, like you know, actual DLLs and stuff like that, or do any new get uh, uh, get configs. Uh, and if I if I actually show you the file structure, that's pretty much it. Uh, that's pretty much the file structure for a uh, for a function. Um, so you've got the run file, which is the main uh, trigger point, and then there's a function uh, JSON file that actually describes some of the settings behind this function. So you use the R command. You don't have to worry about new get restores, and and just your traditional using statements and and you you start writing your um, like you know existing code. Um, if I want to create an extra file, I can. I, all I need is simply uh, I can just go in and say add. Uh, so just have a you know just have your class definition there, and uh, from from the run you can actually refer to it. And if there's any problem, so the moment, okay. so it's actually load that you need to use. Uh, so I is for assemblies, and you can use load uh, for any custom uh, custom code. So this way you can still have that, like you know, your code organization capabilities, uh, but the focus would be just on one business function. Um, and if you take a look at the run method, that's your request coming in, um, and that's going to be your main input. So my main input is pretty much HTTP request, um, and then through this, through the request itself, just you know you can access the request body, you know access your headers and, and parameters, and then um, and then my output was pretty much uh, the function output, um, which was just an object, and the object itself is the response, and uh, if I actually go into integrate, so this is where you would normally configure uh, your inputs and outputs. So since I picked the generic webhook template, that's that's what they set, set me up with. But if I was to go and change that, I can still go and change that. 
So here I can actually um, uh, mention the triggers. So the trigger could be, uh, so there can only be one trigger, so I'm just going to delete that and then click on new trigger. And that's going to give me a whole bunch of options uh, when it comes to triggering the function. So I can trigger the function based on timer. I can respond to an event hub. I can respond to uh, a queue message uh, or, or a file or a blob. Um, you know, external files uh, is coming as well to hook up to things like your network storage devices through the uh, on-prem uh, gateway connector. Uh, <clears throat> or else what I had before was the HTTP trigger. Um, and uh, or it might be a manual trigger, even grid, uh, Cosmos DB. So you can actually pick the trigger that you want. Um, <coughs> I'm just going to go back to HTTP. Uh, you can have various inputs. Um, so when it comes to uh, when it comes to different triggers, different triggers will actually give you extra inputs, uh, such as when you actually uh, subscribe to a service bus. Not only the message, but you'll actually get extra parameters like you know how long the message was actually queued for, when did the message enter the queue, you know were there any like you know is this like the tenth like the tenth delivery attempt or something like that. So you can actually get extra inputs based on the trigger that you go for. And when it comes to outputs, you, uh, the basic one is the uh, HTTP response. But I could actually have multiple outputs. So I, if I uh, save this, if I'm going to click on new output, you know, I've got the same kind of um, experience. But I actually got uh, a couple of more additional stuff, uh, like SendGrid and uh, Twilio, um, and also what framework. Uh, session expired, OK. Let's just refresh. So what that allows you to do is to actually have your function respond to one trigger and then have multiple outputs. Um, or you could just say, like, you know, no output whatsoever, um, and, gen, and then you just deal with the business logic inside the function itself and, and not have any output. So uh, if I just go back to my function app, uh, just go into some of the demo functions that I've written. Uh, so very basic one that I actually did was the email, um, responding uh, to a webhook and then sending out an email. So I didn't have to worry about like writing all sort of like you know uh, mail message commands and SMTP commands and stuff uh, that you would normally do because I've got the SendGrid um, uh, add-on in place. So all I had to do was uh, simply my HTTP trigger is in place and then the output is simply an email message. So since um, Functions got built-in capability for SendGrid. All I had to do is just to grab the SendGrid API key and then put it in the app settings, and then uh, and just you know set up the other parameters, and then that's pretty much it. Um, and then and then just like not worry about any any other configuration. And if I actually show you uh, the code itself, uh, so all all you need is just simply uh, load the SendGrid um, library, um, and then. And you'll actually see, once you have uh, an output binding, you'll actually have uh, an output parameter, an out, uh, uh, like, a, uh, like an out uh, argument there, uh, which is the one that you're actually populating. Um, and then that's pretty much the end of the function. So that's something that you will do uh, based on the output trigger that you have. So all I had to do was simply set the subject, you know, send the content type, set the actual body itself. Um, and, uh, and then I was actually getting those other things from um, uh, from from the actual request itself, so I could simply go in and trigger this. So I'm just going to go. So I just got a Postman uh, request created. So I've got the code which I need to actually trigger the function. I've got a name and an email, and uh, and the body is not required because I've used uh, query parameters for this one. So if I was to look at unread. Let's go and run this. And you can see that the function's um, URL and uh, 200 OK. Um, and you know, there are simple, some simple headers. And after a while, now it has actually triggered SendGrid. And it is pretty much asynchronous, so it will take a while for the email to come in. So uh, we'll just move into the next one. So the next one that I actually set up, uh, any questions so far? No? Um, you mentioned about. Sorry, That's you mentioned right. about DLLs and there's a whole something. The problem I had is I wanted to add some you get packages and I could do it on the code outside, but when I took it back in there, it says, you know, not found or yep. I just couldn't work it out. Now it could have been it was an old 
preview version? Yeah, I can. I'll, I'll show you how to do the new get restore okay. and uh, and and even like you know reference a custom DLL as well. Yeah, that 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 you guys may already have. That was the next question. Yeah. <laughs> so seeing that that general pattern there, of that it's basically a void method, but it's using an out parameter. Correct. Yeah, that's right. Um, or otherwise, I could you know I could have. I could have actually had a HTTP response as well. So I could just simply say, yep, I've sent the message, and then also send the message. Uh, because you can have multiple output bindings. So you can response, like respond back to the caller as a, um, you know, with a response, as well as do something else. Uh, the email hasn't arrived, but that's all right. So send it's taking care of that. So the next one that I actually had was the Twilio um, connector. So the setup was actually pretty similar. Uh, if I was to actually look into the bindings, I had uh, HTTP trigger, and so that was the same. But this time, I've actually got Twilio as an output, um, and uh, and I had to set up uh, a, a separate Twilio account. Anyone using Twilio, Message Media, Clickatel, bunch of stuff. So if you've got another another library, you know, it's pretty much the same thing, but they've just built in the connector for Twilio um, just to make things easy. So you know, Twilio comes with an auth token and, a, and an SID, so you can configure that in the app settings, and then the function would read from that. And uh, if I look at the code, but for me to actually get this, I had to set up my Twilio account, you know, by a phone number and, and run through the visit. So if I look at the code, it's actually really simple as well. So I've got my uh, request coming in, I've got my log, um, and I've got my SMS out uh, argument. And what I'm doing is pretty much uh, setting that up. Uh, let's actually do uh, a, a trial run from here. It's going to go customer name, Dev. Going to send an SMS to you. It's the number. 0428. Yep. 650. Yep. 005. That's right. Hopefully that'll work. Yeah, 200 OK, and uh, the SMS now should go through. So what this would mean is you can easily have your. Sorry, Sam, I'm just going to take something. Oh yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if you think about it, I mean, you can have your, you know, a web store or some something else, and just you know, you can have a function that deals with the SMSing and uh, all the emailing and stuff like that. So uh, you know, Twilio is usually pretty quick, quicker than SendGrid. Um, yes, yeah, it's done its job as well. Um, so, yeah, so you can easily have those extra peripheral activities happening through functions, and and just have your application focusing on the core, uh, uh, core logic. <coughs> I want to show next. Okay, so the next one that I actually had was um, a demo to show how you actually set up uh, like a file monitoring function. So all of like the uh, the email and the SMS. Uh, function was actually expecting a HTTP request to actually come in, but what if you don't want, like you know, HTTP request and you simply want an application placing a file in a blob storage and then you want to pick up the blob storage from that. Uh, so then what you normally do is, um, again, I've used one of the templates, and um, so going into the triggers and the outputs, my trigger is now a blob storage. Um, and uh, and I can actually uh, uh, so there's just an argument name and the path is pretty much my images container and then I'm looking for something like a JPEG file uh, and then uh, and then which storage account am I actually looking into? So I could have actually just gone into um, so that's my default storage account that I was using for the function itself, but I could have easily just gone into my like you know Azure portal, spin up another storage account like you know. Uh, go into app settings and then place the connection string. It's easy as that. So that actually makes the Azure runtime uh, pull for any changes and then subscribe to uh, blob storage events. And then what I did was um, uh, I took the output. Um, again, I, I took the I used the template. So the template actually came with uh, an output of a table storage. And then what this um, sample code actually do. Is it, it actually monitors for a blob storage container, pick up the file. It actually calls the cognitive services um, uh, vision API to actually analyze the message, uh, uh, the, the, the file, 
the JPEG file and then write something into uh, table storage. So let's actually see if we can get this to work. Um, so I've logged into my um, blob storage. I'm just going to refresh just to make sure this. So I've got my blob containers loading up. So that's that table uh, that was configured, uh, face rectangle. And that's my images uh, blob uh, container. Just going to go and upload a file. Uh, if you saw that, I just got a photo of two people. Uh, they're not my friends, so I just downloaded them. <laughs> uh, so just upload that. So that'll go into, yep, just getting uploaded now. And if I was to actually go into, if I'm actually quick enough, I should be able to see function started, function completed. So it actually picked up the file pretty pretty quickly. The first time you set this up, um, under the consumption plan, uh, yeah, so probably I should tell you this. The difference between running it under the pay-as-you-go or the consumption plan versus the app service plan is that the consumption plan will actually monitor for uh, inactive functions, and it'll actually shut down. And then it'll actually wait for the next request to come in. That's how you actually just pay for what you use. Rather than having all the functions loaded up in the memory and then just like you know waiting, um, it actually loads and unloads as, as required. So because of that, under the consumption plan, some of the triggers might actually take a while if it, it, if it hasn't really been used. But if you're talking about a really heavy traffic application, then it doesn't ma really matter because the, even under the consumption plan, the, uh, the, mem uh, like, you know, the function would actually be running in the memory um, in, in the server. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty much it. And if I actually go back to my table, uh, refresh, yeah, there's, there's some information there. Uh, has anyone used cognitive services planning to use? Not, not really. For like what you've done, trying to, uh, you try to identify yep. um, objects. Yep. Computation. Yeah. Yep. So yep. hopefully they are sure. No, because uh, people can load in what they want, and you don't have any control. So, they may not load yep. in a picture of a, what you want them to. It also has checks for pornography. Yes. So you can look at the image and go, this is dodgy. So you're not allowed to put up breastfeeding or, you know. Because that's dodgy. That's obviously dodgy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's just one of them. I mean, I'll, I'll sh my next demo that I actually built was on the text analytics. So this actually uses the computer vision just to figure out if there are people there. And then it, it actually marks the, uh, the coordinates of the faces. So it's not really visible here because it's just coordinates, uh, like, you know, you know, pretty much like left and top uh, coordinates. So I've got another one that I'll actually <coughs> show you that actually puts this like you know on a really uh, nice platform. So that's that's how you respond to blob storage. So I'm not going to go into each and every one, but I think you get the idea. Um, you know, have your service buses. You might already have your service buses. You can have functions that subscribes to them um, and, and, and other services. You just chain them all together as well, can't you? You can, yeah. You so whatever you need to. That's right. So, um, so I think there's a new library called Durable Task uh, under the task libraries in, um, in the new framework features. They've actually migrated that uh, into functions called durable functions. So if you actually go online, you'll actually see how you can do function chaining. And then you can pretty much have like um, any workflow foundation fans. No? <laughs> you can, <laughs> you can actually do code level. <laughs> so if you had used workflow um, uh, workflow kind of platform, so you know, BizTalk and what sort of stuff, you can actually have functions and, and, and have functions calling other functions, waiting for them, you know, have a bit of like, you know, thread management and, and, and chaining and stuff like that. So have a, have a look at that. It's a little bit of a, a tedious task to actually set up the whole thing. But once it's up and running, you can actually have like a master controlling function, and then have your child function doing stuff, other stuff, and then like you know even finally calculating, um, you know all the outputs, and then have one output uh, out of the master function, so that your caller doesn't need to really worry about like you know who the actual like you know child functions are and what they're doing. So uh, I'll sh uh, quickly show you the code as well. It's pretty pretty simple. Uh, so. Um, the, uh, the input now is actually an image, uh, which is a stream. And uh, there's a function to call the vision API, and, uh, and then grab the response, and then uh, figure out 
uh, and then I also had a had a class that just translate the JSON request uh, the uh, the response into a into an object, and then I was just like you know um, sending that to my output. So adding to the table storage, I could have you know easily uh, do it as an async, and then as you can see, I was just like looping through. Um, all the, the the responses that I got from uh, cognitive services, and I was simply just like you know adding adding another row uh, into the table. So you know if I wanted to, I could have just written to Azure SQL or you know do something else. But that's um, you know a simple thing that you can achieve without without writing any code. And as you can see, I haven't really set um, set up any connection strings to the storage account and stuff like that. All of that stuff is actually taken care of by the config. And, and you can just worry about like creating your records or um, and, and doing the other functions. So uh, as I was saying, so I actually built another function called uh, it's not really that meaningful return faces uh, that actually takes in another request and uh, and it actually gives me uh, another response back. But what I was actually doing here is I actually extended that same example that I had. And then actually did some um, uh, GDI stuff to actually output the image, but actually circle uh, like those actual faces because I was getting the coordinates. So I, I, I could actually just open up the image and uh, create some boxes around the faces. So I'm just going to go into my uh, uh, thing and uh, oh, okay, yep. So I don't have to run it again. So the idea is that I was actually sending a file to my function. And the function was actually returning this back uh, as as the actual response, and uh, and uh, a couple of uses of this kind of pattern is where you could do like you know thumbnailing and image resizing and stuff like that, and 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 just like you know let a function take care of that rather than your own uh, app, like like actual business application. So you could easily have you know those binary kind of responses coming back, or, or even build your own little CDN or do some other um, like you know. Static content start, uh, uh, kind of stuff. Okay, so uh, I then did another one um, with cognitive services, um, where where I was actually doing um, uh, sentiment analysis. So this is the text and so the, the one that I used for the facing the face stuff was the computer vision or the vision API. Uh, and there's a different face API as well if you're inter interested in face recognition. Uh, that tells you like you know how old you are, gender, like you know, if you've got like you know glasses or like you know hair and stuff like that. Um, the, um, and and here using the uh, the text analytics API. Uh, so here I've actually used a, a second class just to have my cognitive um, calls there. And then what this does is it actually calculates the sentiment. So if I pass on a, a string to it, it'll actually calculate the sentiment and 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 give me a score based on like you know if I, if it's got a you know positive feeling to to the wording or a negative feeling to the wording. Uh, this is particularly useful uh, when it comes to social media scanning and like you know uh, scanning your comments and like you know figuring out if your customers are happy about what you're selling and what they're talking about in Twitter or you know if you're getting tagged in like various social media stuff. So um, it's pretty powerful, um, and uh, I, think, I think the demo that Ryan was showing, they were actually showing the sentiment for their hotels, uh, the ratings, uh, as well, I think, on that demo, where they were actually checking. Um, so uh, so with this one, uh, I actually need a NuGet library. Uh, well, for this one, this will work as is, because I'm simply using the web client. Uh, but um, cognitive services actually come with a library that you can use out of NuGet. So what I need is uh, before you do that. Yeah, I noticed using statements. Oh yeah. As opposed to. So I'm using my R statements for. Yeah. So I'm getting system web um, for the web uh, for the web client and just the JSON normal stuff. Um, so those two, I mean, anything that's like you know in the .NET framework, you can just load it in, but um, and 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 the rest you'll just have to get from NuGet. And by extending um, some of the backend function runtime stuff, you can even hook up to your own package store as well. Uh, so, what was the difference of the using Ubisoft JSON and the um, hash yeah. yeah. So think of it like you know adding your service, uh, adding your reference library reference. But that's in there twice. Uh, so well, yes. Yeah, so one's you're using it, one's you're adding it. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So R is to actually load the library using is your user using the library. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So all the systems are already in there. Correct. They they get loaded automatically. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So, uh, so how do I get my NuGet package? So you need to add a file called project.json, uh, just a simple file, and uh, let me just grab my package definition, and I'm just going to open up. It's obvious now, you, now, now we're all on .NET Core 2.0, that's obvious, isn't it? <laughs> um, Alright, so I haven't saved it yet, so there's nothing in the log file. I'm going to save it, and you're going to see that it's you know starting to do new get restore and starting to load up all the packages into the runtime, and um, and that's pretty much it. And that'll do every time I'm I'm actually compiling the function. It'll automatically manage the dependencies, and as well as it'll actually know if uh, if something has changed uh, or if I actually changed something. So if I was to actually just go in and make a change, that'll do a restore. That'll complain, and. Uh, and stuff like that, unable to res uh, resolve. So it'll actually do everything uh, in real time. So is this using the full framework? Uh, it is sandboxed. Okay. So you still have limited. So that's another difference in the consumption plan as well as uh, compared to the app service plan. Consumption plan is like highly sandboxed, uh, just because it's like a like an on-demand on kind of platform, whereas the app service plan, you have your normal app service experience. So you'll have all the capabilities. They don't actually say that, but I've actually tried a couple of uh, six, seven commands, and and it worked. Okay, yeah. And and I've got all the um, all the async stuff. That's so that's obviously four six two. Um, so yeah, all of that's. Okay. Uh, I, I think they don't actually make a distinction. Uh, they actually make a distinction when it comes to PHP. You can pick the PHP version, uh, but I think .NET they actually keep it up to date. Would, would there be like a CUDA endpoint? Yeah. Good question. So what I was going to do next is to actually get my custom DLL. So I just had a simple, uh, a really simple um, uh, class library created in Visual Studio, um, and uh, just show you how uh, simple it is. So it's a simple class library with one class, and um, you know, just you know, I had some business logic there. Um, so don't try to read too much into it; it's pretty complex. <laughs> uh, so as you were asking, um, since this is actually running on App Service platform, it's got it's got Kudu there uh, that takes care of all the all the usual Kudu stuff. So I can easily go into my function. So Kudu is actually powering the whole function app itself, not not the individual function. So I can go into uh, uh, platform features here, and um, and then uh, where is it? Yeah, advanced tools code. So I can open it up and do the rest of the stuff. What's Kudu? Kudu's an open source. I don't know the full history of it, but it's an open source platform to actually take care of some sandboxing and and deployments, automatic deployments, uh, especially your source control based deployments. And that's how it got started. But now they've got like different extensions. And um, like you know, environment information. Even if I was to actually look at the runtime versions, and uh, yeah, there you go, Brian. Yeah. Yep. There you go with all the versions, and um, like things like app settings. So this pretty much powers the platform. It's not the entire thing, uh, if I'm not mistaken. It's just another add-on that's sitting on the side. Earlier, when you had some code getting environment environment variables out, were they? Ones in your key vault or whatever it's called? Um, no, they're actually simply your app settings. Sure. Yeah. So app settings, your traditional app settings. Um, so I was storing all my keys there, and I could right, say. Just gonna <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I had my library. Let's just build that. Yeah. Succeeded. Just to make sure that my library is compiled. Yeah. Just got a simple DLL. You'd be struggling if you got that one wrong, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going on with this crap. Uh, you can just go into uh, the debug console, CMD, 
And you can actually now navigate the file structure that's actually behind uh, the function. So uh, that's actually sitting on the www root. And that's pretty much the, the full file structure for that there. Uh, so, so those are my individual functions. That's my function app. And that's, uh, it actually creates a, f a folder for each function. And then, so what we were looking at before, say, the SMS test, um, it's got that function JSON file and the run CSX, which is the actual function file. And then everything else gets controlled from, from the top level. So, uh, so I'm just going to go back into my uh, cognitive. Um, so that's my cognitive CSX, that which I was actually showing before. And uh, I'm just going to simply uh, add a folder, uh, yeah. traditional bin. Um, so I can't upload a file from here, so I'm just going to do a drag and drop. And that's my custom library loaded. Oh, I may not have discovered that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> if you can't upload it from the spot, you wouldn't think of dragging and dropping it. <laughs> I know. It's like... That's what I was thinking the first time. just didn't make the yeah. sprint. Please stack overflow, help me. <laughs> <laughs> Label, upload file here, drag here. So since it's a DLL, I need to use the R command just to load it up. Uh, <laughs> so in this case, I'm actually loading the full library itself, so I'm, I'm, I need to give it the proper reference and the exact file name. And then I can just go in and, uh, yeah, just use it. And and just, you know, call my class. And um, and that's it. Just and that's pretty much it. So if you've got existing classes, so my library is written. I haven't actually uh, tried with core, but, yeah, this is simply 6.461. Um, so uh, you would get to try with, like, you know, standard and core. So that's that's how you do custom DLLs. Um, okay, so. So, can you just call, not that I, no, I believe you. Hmm? I believe you. <laughs> I'm not going to ask for it to show it ring run. Oh, run that. Yeah, easy. So where was it? Cognitive. I'm just going to get rid of sad. I'm not sad. So. So if I was to just run it, it'll actually take the uh, um, the description called happy. You know, this could be a full paragraph or sentence, and that actually gives me a score from 0, 0.0 to 1.0. Um, and and like you know, closer to one means it's like you know quite positive. And um, just you know, having a bad day, and that's like you know point three. Oh, it was it was more not that, more actually calling your. Oh yeah. Uh, too easy. <coughs> yep. Yep. That's it. Save it. Run it. Hello world. That came from my library. That's easy as that. Um, That's pretty good. So yeah, I think... You, four months ago when we tried this. <laughs> <laughs> so then you kind of now got the idea of what you can do with functions. So I'm going to quickly run through, uh, given we've got a few minutes, uh, two other functionality. In, um, in functions. So another function, um, an option that you have is proxying your functions. So you can have an, um, like a proxy endpoint and not expose your actual function um, endpoint. So you could have something like, I don't know, thumbnail ABI, and then have like, you know, a couple of functions performing some work or, or you don't have to actually expose your real function. Um, so with the proxy, so I actually set up a, a test proxy uh, and if I was to actually go into it, um, so I've got a proxy URL, um, and it's got a route template, and I'm actually allowing all methods. Uh, you know, I could have simply said just like you know, just allow post and not allow the others. And then what the backend URL is? So did you not create this? This is what's already there. Or no, I created this myself. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, and proxies actually recently came out of uh, preview as well, so that means they're definitely going to keep it. So. Uh, um, yeah, so what I've got is, you know, test API calling my webhook uh, function. But with the proxies, what you could also do is you can actually override the request and response. So here I've actually, um, I'm actually, if I was to actually go into my, 
uh, my actual function, which is the cognitive web hook function. Um, you know, I had to pass in, you know, like you know, all the parameters, and and you, I mean, I still need to pass my actual parameters that required by the function. So you know, that will still work. But the problem is, if I'm actually proxying stuff, I don't want the outsiders to see what I'm actually doing. So with the proxy, you know, I can completely avoid that code, like the token key. So I'm not, I mean, here I'm not actually passing the token key, but I, I can still call it and still get the same response. Um, and the way that you actually do that is by overriding the request. So by overriding the request, I'm actually injecting a parameter within the proxy, which gets then passed to the function. So you could do a couple of things like, you know, query parameters, headers, uh, and then same thing with the response, um, and, and, and even have the body of the response um, modified. So I have a question. Um, I've written them using the um, the Azure function template out of um, Visual Studio because I wanted yep. it in source control. Can yep. you set up your proxy for your... I'm not really sure because I haven't actually played with the 2017 template. Okay, yeah. I actually played with the 15 template and it wasn't there. Yeah. It actually takes care of your inputs and your, I mean, your triggers and the outputs, but it wasn't... Because when they released the SDK for 2015, Proxy wasn't actually, uh, yeah. it was actually in preview. Yeah. But it, it might actually be in the, in the latest oh, SDK. Yeah. Um, so that's proxying. And uh, the next one is slots. Who's familiar with slots? So I think you, you know the, uh, the concept. So I'll actually just jump into another function that I've got. So with slots, what, it, what they do is they actually have like a mini environment within your main function app. <coughs> so you can have your, I don't know, like you know, beta testing environment, alpha testing, staging, UAT, um, and, um, and, and have your functions replicated. And then what will happen is you can just swap uh, the environment. So you can say swap staging with production, and it will actually do a real-time um, uh, swap. Uh, so if you are... Happy with slots, I'm not, uh, not going to run that. So that's pretty much it for my um, uh, code demos. And I'm happy to share all these you know, requests and the config stuff so you can have a play with it. Uh, a couple of scenarios or use cases that you can use this for is pretty much like time-based processing. You know, have um, you know, something that's running in the background, scanning for something, checking a log file. Um, like you know, doing some analysis in the background. Like you know, you don't have to um, you know write like a cron job or a schedule task. Or you, know, you could potentially use like the, the Azure scheduler for that and have like a partial script. But functions, you know, can do the same thing as well. Uh, and you can have any Azure service event processing. So things like you know, a blob storage uh, scanning, uh, service bus queue. Uh, uh, you can you can easily use that for. Uh, or else you can actually have SaaS apps. Uh, so the uh, the support for SaaS apps, like you know OneDrive, SharePoint, uh, O365, is actually coming uh, coming out very soon. It's still in beta stage, and uh, the idea is that you can actually respond to uh, an Excel file getting added to a SharePoint list, kind of thing. Uh, or you can actually make your web apps, it's web apps themselves, uh, a bit of serverless. I mean. If you already got like you know Angular Knockout and all the front-end technologies in play on your uh, on your web apps, you know you can actually use functions to take care of your back-end processing. Um, or you can have like you know mobile apps that uses functions to do the back-end processing. If you're not using like you know mobile services or, or any other service, you can easily have uh, functions that that take care of uh, take care of the back-end stuff. Or you can hook up functions with uh, like you know, stream analytics, IoT Hub, uh, and 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 have that like you know high throughput kind of like you know high volume kind of function, uh, like you know data processing that takes care of like data mining, uh, like you know event analyzing and stuff like that. Uh, especially in the case of IoT, functions are getting used uh, uh, quite regularly now. So what do you need to do all of this stuff? So as I was saying, you got the uh, the SDK, uh, the functions runtime is a simulator that you can actually run on your local computer itself. If you don't have Azure, uh, like a subscription, and, and uh, you can use the functions runtime locally to actually test your functions. 
Um, and, and, and there's like an online sandbox that you can use. If you, again, if you don't have uh, an Azure subscription, you can use that URL and uh, just spin up a quick function just to have a look at it. Uh, and you got the uh, uh, VS 2017 tooling and, and project template, so you can have IntelliSense and all the all the brand new 2017 uh, Visual Studio uh, functionality uh, on your projects. Local debugging, monitoring is taken care of by um, application insights, or like you know hook it up to something else. Does that cost any more to run? Yeah. yeah. So application insight gets charged extra. Yeah. yeah. Which uh, ones are essential? Which ones are sorry? Is essential? A uh, li little bit, yeah. I mean, you need the SDK if you're using Visual yeah. Studio to write the code. The 2015 is, is good enough. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you got 2015 SDK as well. So, so which one's mandatory? You need the SDK. Yeah. And you need you need to download the templates for Visual Studio. And that's it. And that's pretty much it. And then you got local debugging and the function runtimes, and the function CLI actually gets uh, is actually part of the SDK. So you'll actually be able to debug locally. Uh, before you push it to Azure. And monitoring, again, application insight, uh, Visual Studio supports for that, I guess. You don't technically need that. And log stream, you can simulate the storage account locally as well. Yeah, pretty much, yeah, just to get started. Because you might already have another event log. You might already have another function doing the event logging. Or another third-party application like you know, Raygun or um, you know, something like that. Um, so how do you deploy this stuff? So I'm not going to run through deployments, but the uh, the idea is that you've got direct editing, as I was doing before, and you've got your source control support, so you can have your VSTS, Team CD, um, you know, doing your CI/CD stuff. Uh, you've got your published profile, so you've got FTP access to Kudu, and 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 you can download. Um, so so another good thing is that if you let's say you actually got started with your function app through the direct editing, and you were doing everything in the cloud. You can actually download your file structure, put it into source control, and then turn on source control uh, support. Um, so you don't technically need to start with source control in the first place. Uh, and there's also like a, um, a Kudu host, a local um, like like a, like a Git uh, on its own, um, and you can actually clone from that uh, Kudu Git as well. You can easily like you know just one click like you know right click publish from VS. Um, and behind the scenes, it's like you know, Kudu doing. It's pretty much like a web app, except it looks like it works, unlike web apps. Yeah, die for no apparent reason and don't tell you until <laughs> someone rings up and says it's stopped. Yep. Tell me how I know. Um, Ask me how I know. So just because you've got by default the log streaming turned on, most of that, like you know, analytics and troubleshooting, can be just done through yeah. the, the log itself. I mean, you don't have to worry about like you know, if you didn't do your logging in your web app. You still don't know what's going on, like you know, if you didn't have a log file in the first place. But that'll that, that's not the case because you've got the the, the log file uh, created in the first place. So thinking about other serverless technologies that you can actually pair functions with, you know, you've got your Redis cache, uh, machine learning, IoT Hub, web jobs, and all of this stuff is pretty much running on the serverless platform, um, and, and 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 has the same principles like you know, pay as you go, uh, you know, consumption model, and and all the other benefits of the Azure serverless. So the Cosmos DB thing is like a, I've used it with like um, Azure table. So, so yeah, like Cosmos is like you everything. You could do graph, you could do table, you could and you so could do SQL. One part of that graph, one part of that graph. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, could argue that Azure um, SQL is serverless because it, it, you mm -hmm. basically deal with DTUs. You're yeah, not that's dealing right. Dealing with anything else. Yeah, so it's correct. Up to you. Yeah. So yeah, that that as well. I used to have like you know enough enough right. icons. <laughs> yeah, I ran around the space exactly. So there's about like you know about 20, 30 of the actual services are now serverless in Azure. Um, so as I was just touching on before, you've got the two computing options: consumption and app service. So consumption is serverless resourcing, so ad hoc resourcing. Things get shut down or things like you know uh, hibernate if they are not in use. Pay per invocation, uh, automatic scaling, uh, app service, your usual app service stuff. Uh, so that's pretty much it. Any questions? No? Yep. Is there a maximum time a function can run for? Yeah, 10 minutes. Uh, under under the consumption plan, it's 10 minutes. And, uh, and I think if it's inactive for three minutes, it, it gets hibernated. But for your long-running task, you need to use the app service plan.
So uh, if you use the always on for your web apps and for your web jobs, you have the same function. Yeah, just need to pay more. So yeah, I think I've pretty much covered everything that I want to show. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Thanks for listening. There's a YouTube channel dedicated for functions as well as uh, GitHub that contains all the code. So if you want to look at exactly how things run, have a look at that uh, and head down to the Azure documentation site as well. There's plenty of samples, plenty of like you know tutorials and scenarios that you can actually replay. Uh, and uh, yeah, if there's any questions, feel free to contact me as well.